You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Recently, and it's not intended by me to be a theme, this is, uh, probably should have told, uh, eh, we can leave it with worship, because uh, I never told anybody what I was teaching today, so, uh, but it's not going to be worship, uh, just so you know, Nathan. Uh, but uh, the, the theme that we've, uh, I say that it really wasn't planned by me, one of the good things about preaching through the books of the Bible is that uh, I kind of let God plan stuff for me that way. Uh, you know, you start Nehemiah and you start preaching, and it's like, okay, God, what do you got? Uh, that's what you got for me today. Go through, ten, you know, Thessalonians, same thing. So when, in the course of events, I get to a time to where in 1 Thessalonians, we are dealing with the Word of God. And in Nehemiah, when we're dealing with the importance of the Word of God, that, you know, you just say, okay, God, this is a great plan. Uh, I like it. And then, uh, so praying about that, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a filler this week because uh, I was intending for uh, either Ryan or Atreyu to be teaching today, but they're both gone. And so... I just thought, well, you know what? Why not plug in between the Word on Wednesday and the Word on, in the worship service? Why not talk about it a little bit in Sunday school as well today? And so I really felt led in this direction and thought I'd share this with you. This is familiar to some of you, uh, maybe not too many of you, uh, but I'm sharing some of the words of uh, Clarence Larkin, um, his little section on the prophetic word. But if you've got a Bible today, I want to start just by reading one verse of Scripture, and then I'll refer to some others, and we're going to discuss some things about the Word of God today. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter, yeah, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse, verse number 21, and it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, by the Holy Ghost of God. So, you know, what is the Bible exactly? You know, if you were to, if, you know, sometimes we, we accept things that we've never really answered the question of. What is the Bible? Uh, I, and I'll just ask you, how would you answer that question? If somebody asked you, um, you know, because by the way, we are getting in more and more into a biblically illiterate world, and especially in our American society, um, you know, I, I, told, I shared with you the time that I was in an airplane and I was trying to talk to a, a young man, a teenager, and I was trying to witness to him, talk to him about the Lord. And I just said, uh, well, you know, uh, and I said something about sin. And I said, have you ever sinned? And you know, you know what his question was to me? What is sin? How would you answer that question? What is sin? Well, sin is sin. What do you mean, what is sin? Uh, and, and, you know, thankfully the Lord helped me uh, come up with something, you know, to where I just, you know, I was like, well, there's a holy God in heaven as sin is going against what this holy God in heaven has set forth. So if you were asked the question, what is the Bible? How would you answer that question if you had to? Ron? Hey, man, I, that's, that, that just gets right there, doesn't it? The voice of God. Uh, the voice of God. Boy, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Yeah, Doria. Hey, oh yeah. (laughs) 
Amen. So Doria said a miracle, and then she expounded a little bit why that is. And one of them, you know, she alluded to this, or really this is a big part of her answer about it being a miracle. One of them is found in one of the words that we find there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, for the prophecy, the prophecy. Uh, man, they, one, of the, one of the amazing things about the, old, about the Bible is that it's a prophetic book. And I know that, you know, many of us, when we think of prophecy, right away you start thinking about the, oh, yeah, it's a book of prophecy, you know, the rapture and, and the seven years of tribulation. You know, but Dor to Doria's point, no, uh, the prophecy started immediately. God's saying this is going to happen. And so throughout time, much, of the prof much prophecy has been fulfilled throughout time. But the Bible is a prophetic book, and it is indeed a miraculous book. How, how would you answer the question, what is a Bible? Or what is the Bible? God's Word. Amen. God's Word. That's a, that, that's a, great, uh, a very great explanation for it. Um, yeah, Nathan. Yeah, instruction manual for the Christian. I think uh, that, that's, a, that's a great answer as well. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, man, you, you, you find the history of what God has done without man. And I... I know it's something that we may not do very often, uh, even though that we preach about it and I try to refer to it, but even then, can you imagine the world without the Bible? What would it be if, there, if we did not have God's voice, the Word of God, the prophecy, the, the, the history to know what God did, and, 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 and so on, uh, the, the instructions the, to, to know what God says? I mean, man... It's just, it's just worth understanding the importance of the Word of God. And so I want to talk a little bit about the Bible today. And I want to give some of the, not everything that can be said about the Bible, but just a few things to say about the Bible. Because in, in the preaching service, I'm, I'm really excited about it. But uh, I'm going to be asking the question. You know, it's funny. I don't, want to, I don't want to spoil my message for later. But it's just funny when you think about the way we do things, you know. We, we've talked before about the foolishness of preaching and the whole idea of how unusual this is to people. Um, but why is the Bible so important? And, and honestly, one of the greatest jobs of the church even, um, you know, and maybe somebody could look this verse up for me. I should know the reference, uh, but I do not. But where the Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Is it in Titus? If you were to look up pillar and ground, if you just Google that or search that in your Bible, it'd pop up pretty quick. Three, two, one. But the, I, I'm looking for that verse just because it's interesting to say that one of the main jobs of the church is to be the pillar and the ground of truth. Uh, that we stand for the truth, that we stand on the truth. Uh, I, I, I just so much I've come across about the Word of God lately, but I, I'd mentioned this, I believe, on Wednesday, how that we live, that, that many of us grew up in a time, and more, some more than others, but there was a time, I'll just say, in recent history, yes, Richard, okay, 1 Timothy 3.15, so Doria had the 3 right and the T right, uh, 1 Timothy 3.15 uh, the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of truth. And we'll probably get it up here in a moment. But it's just the point that there was a time. There was a time to where, as far as, far as morally is concerned, that you could tell somebody in America that you're a Christian and they would agree with you on um, 
You know, they would agree with you on marriage. They would agree with you on there being a male and a female. They would agree with you that murder was wrong. Uh, you know, they would agree with you. They would agree with you on a lot of things because, because our society has been so influenced by the Bible. But it's not an accident that in recent years and decades that there's been a fir- that the, the attack on the Word of God both from the outside and the inside has increased more and more. But think, think with me for a minute. Where in the world is... See, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, the truth Jesus is talking about there is not the truth about, you know, medicine or the truth about science or the truth about... He's talking about His revealed truth. Then there's things about those revealed within His truth. But the point is, He's talking about revealing His truth. He's talking about the truth found in the Word of God. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free... But he says about the church, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. What that tells us is, where else in the world, where else in the world are people going to hear truth? Biblical sound truth. Where else but the house of God? Where else but the word of God? Where else but through Christians who are perpetuating the word of God? Where else? It's only through that the church of the living God, the people of God. And that's why it's important that we continue to stand and preach on the Word of God. But think about where we are in our world today. The Word of God, all right, uh, is what Melanie said. What is the Bible? It's the Word of God. What did Ron say? The voice of God. You know, it's kind of the same, but boy, they just both impactful statements. Here's the thing that God does. God tells us a couple of things. He tells us, you know, we, we can think about the fact that in the Bible, God tells us what to do. You know, and if some people aren't careful, they think that's all the Bible is, is just telling you what to do. Uh, that's really not the point of the Bible uh, outside of putting your faith and trust in Christ is what you ought to do. But it's not just like, oh, this is how I need to live so God accepts me. No, we have God's holy standard It shows His holy standard, the Ten Commandments especially, and it teaches us that in and of ourselves we can't live up to those things, and that's why we need a Savior. Uh, But it does, after that, say, okay, and as God's people, you know, there's instructions, don't misunderstand me. But it tells us what to do, yes. But here's another thing that's not real popular about the Bible, about the Word of God. You know what else it does? Listen to this. Not only does it tell us what's right and wrong, it tells us what to do. We live in a world, before I move on from that one, that does not want to be told what to do. Uh, All right? And then number two, it tells us who we are. Tells us who we are. Now, you know, from the very basic thing, it tells us, you know, as far as you talk about countercultural, it tells us that, it tells us what a man and a woman is. It it, it differentiates between humans and animals. There's a, you know, right? It says you are a human being. You are created in the image image of God. You are created male. You are created female. But it goes beyond that in identity because there's another identity that's even deeper and more important than that, and that is this. God reveals to, to mankind that we are sinners. It tells us that it identifies us as a sinner. It identifies us as someone who comes short of the glory of God. So it's not popular today 
with some of the things that it's presenting. But here's the thing. It's needful today. It's needful today. And again, God does all these things out of grace. But I, just to share a few things with you, and this is the part I was talking about from, uh, from Clarence Lark, and he's got some good things about uh, the Bible and the prophetic word. But he says this, The Bible is not a systematic trustee on theology. Okay? So what he's just simply there saying is that the, the Bible is not just a book that's teaching you theology or morals or history or science or any other topic. Now, where the Bible talks, where the Bible talks about these things, it's important, and it, it's, it, there's a reason. But the main reason of the Word of God in the Bible is it's the revelation of God. It's God's revelation. It's how we find out who God is. And we learn through the process. We learn about the revelation of God. We learn about the fall of man. You know, society really does have an answer for why we're in the predicament that we're in today. Uh, but the Bible does have a reason and a description for the reason we're in the predicament we are today. It's because of sin, the fall of man, man's nature being corrupt. So it tells us the, the revelation of God, the fall of man, the way of salvation, and God's plan and purpose in the ages. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 the Bible says God spoke at sundry times and in diverse manners. Excuse me. Which just simply means this, that during a period of 1600 years, extending from B.C. 1492 to A.D. 100, the Bible consists of how many books? 66. And by the way, um, not really important, but just... Part of, you know, the, the, the Latin idea behind Bible, Biblios, is, is a collection of books. It's a library. But we know that it is, since the Bible now defines the word Bible, I believe, you know, but, but the actual definition would be a collection of books, but we know the Bible now goes much beyond that. All right, how many Old Testament books? 39. How many New Testament books? 27. All right. Uh, these books were written, oh, and I, so we'll just keep on doing some of these things, I guess. How many different authors, roughly? Forty. And I just say roughly because, uh, you know, like for instance, there's questions uh, on like who wrote the book of Hebrews. And then there's questions on who maybe who wrote certain Psalms. Not all of the Psalms were written by David. But think about this. So God used 40 up to 40 different authors. He used kings like David and Solomon. He used statesmen like Daniel and Nehemiah. He used priests like Ezra. He used learned people who were learned in the wisdom of Egypt like Moses, by men learned in Jewish law as Paul. God used a herdsman by the name of Amos, a tax gatherer, Matthew. He used fishermen. Peter, James, and John, who were called ignorant and unlearned men to write the Word of God. Uh, you know, he, he used a physician by the name of Luke. He used mighty seers, these mighty prophets as Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. Its pages were penned in the wilderness of Sinai, the cliffs of Arabia, the hills and towns of Palestine, the courts of the temple the schools of the prophets at Bethel and Jericho, in the palace of Shushan in Persia, 
on the banks of the river uh, Kibar in Babylonia, in the dungeons of Rome, and on the lonely island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. Imagine any other book that would be compiled in such a way. What way? 1,600 years, 40 different authors, the gamut of society. Imagine any other book put together that way. I mean, it would be a mess. I mean, you could take the 1,600 years out of it and just do 40 different people writing, even if they did have the same background, but much less if they had these kind of backgrounds. It would be a total mess. Uh, I, I, I just read recently, I believe there was, uh, oh, there's, uh, oh man, is it in France? But there's a, uh, there, there's a library that has a, has a book of medical books, a, a, a of ancient medical books that if you were to line them up, I think they'd go about three and a half miles of medical books. If you could put them all together, there are uh, many of them ancient medical books. Uh, three and a half miles, that's a pretty long stack of books. That's a pretty big bookshelf, amen? Uh, if you were just to put them all out and stack them together. Three and a half. So, but here's the thing. Every last one of them are outdated now. And they're nowhere near 1,600 years old. Uh, and of course you say, well, of course they are. But the point is, you know, miracle was mentioned in, in, in connection with the Bible. Uh, it's just amazing to have what we have today. Because even though, and we all know this, but even though the Bible has been com- compiled in, what we ju- in the way just described, it's not just a jumble of ancient history, myths, legends, religious speculations, and superstitions. I mean... Do you know the stuff that was believed throughout the course of the 1,600 years that the Bible was written? Do you have any idea how superstitious man was? I mean, you know, just think about it. Was it it the Greeks that believed that Atlas held the world on his shoulders? Literally, there's a big giant that has this... How's the world suspended? Oh, there's this dude that's carrying it around on his back. Big old guy. You know, I mean, it reminds me of the... uh, uh, the, the, the first man to actually sit down and, and, and count the stars. He, he sat down and count the stars, and I think he came up with a, a 1,023 stars, I believe is what it was. And that stood for a number of years until another man finally corrected him and said, that's not correct. There's 120, or there's 1,026 stars in our solar system. Until Galileo, of course, turned uh, the telescope up to the heavens and realized there was more than could be counted. But, but I'm, I'm not going to go down this road again if for no other reason because I don't have all the numbers in front of me. But it's absolutely amazing, as we've referred to before. I had uh, Kurt shared this a number, uh, probably about a year or so ago. And, but it was cool. All the different scientific things that were mentioned in the, in the oldest piece, of, maybe the oldest piece of literature known to man with the book of Job the things that were mentioned in there that were so scientifically accurate uh, that weren't discovered, some of them, until even within the last hundred years that they've been discovered. Uh, Now, why is the Bible? Now, the Bible's not a science book. But when God talks about science, when He talks about these things, He's absolutely accurate. The Bible is the Word of God. If there's nothing else I hope to do, you say, why are you telling me all this? I've heard some of these things before. Because I I just want us to, to be in awe of the Word of God. I just would love for us to be able to be in awe of the Bible. And just just to remind ourselves that it is indeed the Word of God. Um, And uh, I I tried to refer to this a couple weeks ago, but then I just remembered about the 
the ancient Hindus, you know, and I just uh, I heard this uh, not too long ago, Adrian Rogers was talking about this, but they believe that the world uh, rested on the back, and, and I may get it wrong, but it, it, it rested on the back of, uh, I'm going to miss one of the creatures in here somewhere, but basically it rested on the back of a giant tortoise, I believe is what it was. And then that the giant tortoise, uh, you know, it's still, oh, wait, wait, oh, I don't, can't remember what I missed. It doesn't matter too much. But basically, understanding there's sequence of animals that the world rested on. There was a tortoise, and the tortoise was standing on something, and then that, then the tortoise, oh, elephants. It was elephants, all right? The world rested on the back of elephants, a bunch of elephants. Okay, well, what are the elephants standing on? Oh, well, they're standing on the, the, the back of a giant tortoise, you know, and, uh, okay, well, what is the giant tortoise standing on? And, uh, and somewhere along the line, it gets down to where this, uh, this giant tortoise or the, or the next animal is standing on a, on a huge snake. Okay, but uh, uh, what's this huge snake resting on? And they say, well, the huge snake is just swimming in a cosmic sea. <laughs> kind of hard to argue with that one, isn't it? It's not. But I'm just telling you, the things that people believe, the things that some of the most advanced people believed uh, throughout this 1,600-year period and even after that, I mean, but the Bible is consistent. The Bible never goes down these weirdo roads. The Bible stays consistent with its truth and with its teaching. It's not superstitious. It's not... Myth, it's not mythical. Uh, there's not all these speculations in there. But it's a, pro, it's, it's a pro, progressive revelation of doctrine. Think about that. I mean, from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, you have the very first mention of the, that, of the Messiah that would come. The very first verbal prophecy of the Messiah who would come. And I'm telling you to imagine from that point on through different ages, through floods, through wars, through persecutions, through apostasy, through, through the people that God chose blowing it, through all of that, God kept His message and His revelation going. That this progressive revelation that the judges, for instance, they knew more than the patriarchs. The prophets revealed more than the judges. The apostles revealed more than the prophets. The Old and New Testaments, think about that. The Old and New Testaments, they are not, they, uh, they are not separate and distinct books. Now, they, oh, there's an obvious division there, but the New does not take the place of the Old. Uh, or it, it, it's that they are the two halves of a whole. Somebody said it this way, the New Testament is enfolded in the Old, and the Old is unfolded in the New. I like to say it a different way. I like to say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. But the perfection, the absolute accuracy uh, with which the, the Word of God was revealed to us is absolutely amazing. You, you think about Hebrews. Hebrews, if you want to get a deeper understanding of Hebrews, you need to go to the book of Leviticus. And if you want to get a deeper understanding of Revelation, then you need to go to Daniel and vice versa. Uh, if you want to understand the Passover or Isaiah 53, you really need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You need the Gospels. You need, need some of the things that Paul revealed in the epistles. When the Bible... Uh, is a revelation from God, it's not written, it is a revelation from God, but it's not written with superhuman or celestial language. Obviously, God tried to have it down in a language that everybody could understand. Now, 
And, and, and that's one of the things that God, of course, did for years. I was, I was hoping to make some reference, and I guess I'm doing it at this moment, but I was thinking about making deeper reference to how we got the English Bible. I'd love to just, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about that. I'd love to just talk a little bit about how the English Bible came about. You know, from, from Wycliffe to uh, Tyndale to Coverdale until finally we got to uh, the English version that, uh, that King James allowed. And when you read the, 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 the process that the Bible went through to get into English from that point was uh, absolutely amazing in and of itself. But now, so the Bible is meant to be in the language of the common people. Because God cares about common people. Uh, he wants everybody to know Him and know His revelation. But as far as uh, from a literary standpoint, one of the things that's important to understand about the Bible is that the Bible is written in figurative, symbolic, and literal. I think literal is kind of a funny word, don't you? Uh, because we, we, we say stuff to be literal. And by the way, I believe they actually had to change or add a definition of literal in the in the, in the most updated dictionary, uh, to mean not for real. Just kind of kidding. <laughs> You're right. You know, when the, when the, you know, when you say, my gosh, it's literally, you know, a thousand degrees outside. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, but then there's another thing where I think the word literally is kind of funny because literally, of course, it's talking about literature. And so literally actually can apply to different types of literature. But but we, we get the idea of what literal, what we mean by literal when we say it. But think about this, uh, the expressions in the Bible. Harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. Well, you know, th th how about this one? Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Well, that's obviously, th those are obviously figurative statements. And they're, but their meaning is made clear by the context. Context almost always clears up, and I would, I should maybe even just say always clears up the meaning of a particular passage or a particular uh, phrase even. Symbolic language is used uh, by when Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and Daniel's four wild beasts, uh, Christ being in the midst of the, the seven golden candlesticks. But again, you just keep reading the Bible and you understand what it's saying. You understand the meaning of what it's saying uh, because the, the Bible, by and large, is meant to be interpreted and, and read by customary rules of, of grammar and rhetoric. In other words, you can read the Bible and understand it. And you, what happens, though, is you get in trouble because there's a lot of people that rather than just reading the Bible for what it says, this, ha this happened very early on, and it's one of the tactics to attack the Bible and to attack our understanding is that people begin to allegorize and spiritualize every meaning. Um, and so there's those that still do that to this day. Uh, that, that's, that's what happens. And this, you know what interesting thing with this? There's some of you that were raised in churches that, that allegorized. When you ask yourself, why didn't the church I brought up in ever mention Revelation and ever talk about the coming of the Lord? Because that was an allegory to them. They believed it to be an allegory. They didn't believe that to be literal. Even though the Bible teaches it's little, but they didn't believe it's little. It's just an allegory. It's just a little story. Well, where do you get that from? I mean, they're, they're, they have no basis to make it an allegory because Scripture doesn't make it an allegory. But that's what they do. They'll allegorize. It's a false method of interpreting Scripture that's led to many religious sects and denominations uh, and even cults. 
And so, uh, so there's a few things that we've got to avoid when we handle the Word of God. And now, why is this important? Why is it important that you know how to handle the Word of God? Why is it important that you, that, that you know, for instance, how to avoid uh, misinterpretation, misapplication, and dislocation of Scripture? Why is it important for you, the common man, uh, uh, the person that's maybe not even a preacher or teacher, to know how to interpret and properly study the Word of God? Yeah, recognize false teaching. And maybe even a better question is, is it important? But I believe that we could maybe agree that it is important to recognize false teaching. Yeah, that's right. It's not uh, you need to be able to recognize false teaching uh, yourself because there's a lot of it out there. What's some other reasons why it's important for you to be able to understand the Word of God and be able to, that you can rightly divide the Word of truth? Why, is that, why else is that important? Recognize error, recognize false teaching as one. What's that, Doria? Yeah, yeah, you won't grow in the Word if you're not, you know, taking in the Word. What did you say, Nathan? Yeah, yeah, kind of the counterpoint, you, you'll know the truth. And so you recognize error, but when you know the truth, and it kind of goes to Doria's point really too, it's cool to me how that, you know, oftentimes these answers go together because they're all right, but that you know the truth and then you're able to grow in the truth of God's Word. Yeah, okay, be a witness. Be a witness. Now, um, ideally, every, every, ideally, every child of God should be a student of God's Word. Ideally, we should all be students of God's Word, growing in God's Word, uh, learning God's Word, knowing God's Word. Um, you know, I, I, I think about this often, but man, isn't it something when really in this modern day, just to get people to read the Bible seems to be an achievement, an accomplishment. Just to get God's people to read it. Just to get ourselves maybe to read it. And it matters if we read it, but God help us to study it. God help us to, to, to really take it in and say, God help us. You know, I, I've taught this, but I fail in it oftentimes. But one of the greatest prayers you can ever pray in regards to Bible reading is a psalm. And, uh, and, and it just simply says this, Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open thou mine eyes. That's a good thing to pray before you study, before you read. But uh, so, so, yeah, but then, then Richard said to witness. And the reason I brought that up is, okay, to witness really... I believe the, the biggest key ingredient for witnessing is to be saved and to know it. But that's a good place to start. Are you saved? And if you are saved, do you know you're saved? All right? Well, if you know that, then you can be a witness. Because you can share with someone, you know, and, and, I, would, and I would assume that, I shouldn't assume anything, but that you can learn or at least be able to mark in your Bible uh, a couple verses that you can share with people. Uh, and, and now... It's important to understand, a lot of people don't, some people witness, and if we're not careful, we can use the excuse, and may, maybe sometimes we really do, do fear this, but I don't want to bring up salvation. I don't want to try to start talking the Bible, and then somebody starts asking me a bunch of questions. I don't know. 
and they start asking me about evolution and creation, and they start asking me about all these things I don't know about. Uh, no, never let that be an excuse not to witness. Because you, you, if you don't know something, you know what you can say when somebody asks you something you don't know? I don't know. I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. I do know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And I do know that He loves you. And I do know that He will save you, right? I do know that. Now these other things, I, and I'll even say sometimes, Ron, well, you know, give, give me a chance. I, I'll, you know, let, let me look more into that because let me let you in on a little secret. A lot of times, whatever, the question that person's asking a lot of times isn't even all that important to them. That question is just a, you know... It's just one of these things to where, you know, you learn if somebody's uh, throwing a punch at you or something and you just knock that punch down, right? Uh, that's kind of what that is. They're kind of like, nope, let's change the subject. You're not getting me with the gospel. I'm going to ask you this random question. But Richard said to be a witness, okay? Now, Richard's going down a track that I'm trying to get us down this morning too, okay? Because Richard now is saying we need to know the Bible for the sake of of somebody else we need to know the truth in this case it's for the sake of someone who's not saved but what about this what about the the, the method that God uses number one uh, God's method of teaching the Bible going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter number six where's the very first place in society that Bible teaching and learning should start. The home. The home. Deuteronomy 6, uh, teach your kids. You know, when you're sitting down, when you're rising up, well, it's going to be hard to teach your kids if you don't know it. But you've got a responsibility to teach your kids. Uh, and boy, that, that comes back on me. You know, here I am a pastor, and I could do a whole lot better job in uh, teaching my kids than what I've done. Uh, but, but teach your kids. That's where it starts at. But you need to know something. And you know what? There's a, there's a lot of dads that that's hard. Because it's hard for a dad to say, number one, I would teach, but I don't really know the Bible that good. Um, and it's hard for them to maybe admit that. But you know what? It's okay to admit it and then to say, you know what? I'm going to try to learn. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up a good... Uh, a good resource. I'm going to pick up something to where I can uh, you know, learn the basic, basics of the Word of God. I'm going to be the spiritual leader in my home. So that's where it ought to start. Uh, but, but beyond that, of course, there's the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But this is another one that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, in the book of Titus, who does it say in the book of Titus is supposed to be teaching women in the church? Older women are supposed to be teaching younger women. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have women in our services that I teach and other people teach and preach to. That's not what it's talking about. But I believe one of the things it is talking about is as you see with the Lord Jesus Christ, and really what Jesus did with his disciples is something that goes on back further than that. It's one-on-one -on -one teaching. It's that, we call it discipleship oftentimes. It's a person that's sharing what they've learned with somebody else. Now, I'm not trying to dump all this on you at once, but I just want to challenge you to pray about it and pray that God will help me helping you and working together and equip you to be somebody that disciples somebody else. Every one of us, it's God's will for us to be saved. It's God's will for us to grow in the Word. It's God's will for us to lead someone else to Christ. And it's God's will for us to disciple somebody else. Every child of God. 
And you could see that clearly in the New Testament. But again, most of us really never learned that kind of stuff too much. But, but the women, I'm getting back to the women part. Uh, I love being able to sit down with a couple men uh, or just one-on-one -on -one with a man. It's easy for me to visit with a man and get together and talk the Bible. But I think there's some pretty obvious reasons why I can't do that with women for the most part. Um, I don't do one-on-one -on -one stuff with <laughs> ladies. Uh, some of the older ladies I generally do, but there's obvious reasons for that. And that's one of the reasons why God said, okay, ladies, uh, when it comes time to be able to, because it's one thing for somebody to come and sit, on, sit in these chairs. You can learn a lot sitting in these chairs. You really can. If you, if you listen, take notes, go home, study, and read it some more. But there's nothing quite like being able to sit down and ask questions. Um, and, but, but, but what it's trying to say is it's not saying that the preacher shouldn't be teaching women at all. Uh, there's an obvious one-on-one -on -one thing that I generally avoid. Um, and you say, well, why, why, do you, why do you avoid that? Well, I think it's obvious. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you two reasons just in think you're only thinking of one reason. There's uh, one reason is uh, obviously to save from any sort of temptation that would be there anyway. You say, geez, preacher, are you that messed up? Well, even if I wasn't that messed up, you know what another reason is? Accusation. Even if somebody, an appearance. Uh, you know, nobody can say, hey, uh, boy, he's spending a lot of time alone with, with this one woman behind closed doors. That could raise suspicions. And I just don't, I just try to avoid those suspicions. You, should, you said people shouldn't be suspicious like that. And people shouldn't be vulnerable uh, like that. But you know what? Maybe they shouldn't be, but they are. And that's the way it is. But, again, the, the point that I'm trying to get back to isn't that I'm not able to teach women it's just the point that God specifically said that older women teach and younger women. Why? Because there's this one-on-one -on -one nature. doesn't mean that I don't teach women. I teach women, then older women teach younger women, men teaching other men, uh, helping each other out. We take time to get together. Uh, oh, man. Uh, so uh, that's, a, that's another reason why it's important for us to know what the Word of God teaches uh, I should have known I wasn't going to get through all seven pages. Uh, I want to give you one or two things here before we close, or do I? Maybe I can just close. That's a really good one. Uh, Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, I, I think basically I'll just close with giving you the summation of what I'm trying to get around to, and I think I've alluded to all of it in one way or the other, and that is... We think about the revelation of God. God reveals His Word. And then we were going to talk about the inspiration process. And we've referred to it. We read the verse. How that God inspired. In other words, He spoke through these other people. I wanted to talk a little bit more about that, even though I know we've mentioned it a number of times, but just a little bit more in depth. What does that mean, inspire? How, how did God, if, if you know, because the people say, oh, well, the Bible's just written by a bunch of men. And it's just like, well, yes and no. Uh, God used a bunch of men to write it, but they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost of God. Uh, I think I could share that just with you here real quickly. Just some cool numbers here. Everybody loves numbers. Um, until I can't find the numbers. All right. Uh, th these expressions, okay. Thus, uh, the Lord said, the Lord spake, thus saith the Lord. Those types of statements take place 560 times in the, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So 560 times the Lord spoke. 300 times 
in the historical and prophetic books, 1,200 times in the prophets, uh, over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, thus proving the statement of Peter that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so just an example to show that God did indeed speak. So he, he gave inspiration, he gave inspiration, and then to the last point that I was mentioning, he gives illumination. Illumination. And what that just simply means is this. The Bible says in the book of 1 John that we have an unction from the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, we have the teacher living on the inside of us. We have a God that can illuminate and light up the Word for us. We've got a God who's able to make things that we would not be able to understand understandable. Why? See, the Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. We mentioned that verse Wednesday. Receive means to take in and, 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 and to make, make a part of themselves. The natural man, no, I don't care how smart the man is, uh, or dumb the man is, he can't, he can't receive the things of the Spirit of God unless he's been spiritually awakened and spiritually reborn. Then the spirit of man can be illuminated to the truth of God's Word, and that's why the Bible says that the, that the Word of God is able to make wise the simple. Able to make wise the simple. So, uh, the, the Word of God, um, may God help us to, to have a renewed love and, and appreciation and awe of His wonderful, wonderful Word. May God help us to learn it and know it even better. Amen? All right. Any questions or comments just right before we dismiss? Ron.